welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast. I am your host, Cody McBroom, the CEO of Tailored Coaching Method, a world-renowned online coaching company. This podcast is built to help you create a life by design. That's what the Tailored Life is. It's choosing to blaze your own path, make your own decisions, and create a life you desire. So in this podcast, you're going to learn ways to optimize your body, optimize your mind, optimize your relationships and optimize your business and career this is the podcast for personal development junkies and people who can't stop growing because they strive for more we are also going to bring on experts in every single field to teach you their own expertise so you're not only learning from me four days a week but I'm bringing other professionals in to teach you their principles too so if you love personal development and you constantly want to strive for more in life this is the podcast for you. Make sure you hit subscribe, send this to a friend that needs it, and keep listening to improve your life all around. And without any further ado, let's get into the Tailored Life Podcast. Today's podcast is uh, it's another one of those ones where I'm stealing a show for my show. It was an interview I did on the D&D podcast. Uh, it's a really cool podcast. We, we dove into, um, and I'm going to link that podcast in the show notes. So if you guys want to go check out their podcast, uh, check out their Instagram, stuff like that, you can go ahead and do so. Um, but it was a really cool podcast, and I was humbled by, uh, by the title of it. Um, I want to say it's, it was titled, uh, uh, the legend, uh, journey of a legendary coach, <laughs> something along those lines. And I was extremely humbled and honored for that. But, uh, we took a cool approach to this podcast. We really dove into my story, um, which I know a lot of you guys have heard many times, but you know, every time I tell my story, I think something different comes out of it. And I think depending on who's interviewing me and asking me the questions, you're going to hear different aspects about that journey. Um, and he took a slightly different approach when interviewing me and talked a lot about, um, I mean, like who influenced me and how they influenced me and what type of things influenced the directions I took and so on and so forth. And, and most of all, like I, I love telling my story not because I love to hear it because I don't listen to the podcast over. <laughs> so I just never hear it. Um, but I love telling my story simply because I am just a normal dude. I'm extremely average guy. Um, I think, and I, I think I mentioned this in the podcast. I really wasn't somebody that you would look at, you know, growing up in high school and call it anything. Like I wasn't ever a, really a person that you would look at and be like, that person's going to do something or that person's going to be successful or especially not in the health space, right? Like that person's going to be a great trainer or is, you know, highly skilled in any one department. Like I just was so normal. I got bad grades. I had no direction. It was, I mean, I was just like, there was just nothing to it. And, and when I discovered fitness and it, it changed my life, literally, um, it, it changed, you know, the direction I was taking in such a positive way, my personal life, um, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically, obviously, because I was overweight and unhealthy and, and uh, financially, obviously, because it became my career. But it just did so much for me. And, and at that moment, it was, it was really just like a, like a the snap of the fingers, my whole life changed. And I just shifted directions. But it's just a good example of like all the normal people out there listening that like you could do so much with your life if you just you find something that you can grab onto and give all of your effort into. Um, and I think that's so, so powerful, you know, finding your one thing and really going all in on it. But then at the same time, like for those of you who are already doing your one thing, which is training or nutrition or whatever type of coaching, if you're anything like me or anything for that matter, 
and you have self-doubt and you don't feel special and you don't feel unique and you don't feel called to be some great influential figure in your space or whatever it may be, like you can. And, and I'm nowhere near the great influential figure that I want to become, but I have an influence on a lot of people and I'm impacting a lot of people and I've created a team of individuals who is impacting and influencing a lot of people. And it just goes to show that like you can do it. Like plain and simple, like for all the average people out there listening who feel overly average and that's why you don't feel like you're going to be successful, like I'd have you consider that that's your special power because most people listening to you, most people who need help, most people that are listening to this podcast right now, you're, you're normal and I'm speaking to you because I'm normal too and I think that's the beauty in it. But we really dove into that side of things, which I think you're going to get a lot out of. And then he shifted gears and really focused on coaching. So we dove deep into some very, very specific attributes, principles, methods I use inside my programming for training. And then also, um, we started to talk on nutrition, but we got on the topic of protein and, and that was the last nutrition question he could ask me cause we just went in on protein. So, um, you're going to get some, some practical strategical stuff from the coaching side of things, but you're also going to get, um, a really cool, uh, point of view about my journey to creating tailored coaching method essentially over the last 10 years really um tailored coaching method hasn't been in business for 10 years but it you know it's nothing happens overnight and there's always a journey before the journey kind of thing and you guys are going to hear that um ethos story in a, in a way today so uh, i think you guys are gonna like this one once again i'm gonna link the DD podcast in this podcast show notes so you guys can go check them out if you would like uh really fantastic interview i had a great time with them and i asked them if they would be cool if i stole the podcast and threw it on my own they said yes, uh, and I'm grateful for it because this is a good episode. So you guys are going to really enjoy this. And without any further ado, let's get on to my interview on the D&D podcast. All right. Welcome back to the D&D Fitness and Nutrition Podcast. So guys, I brought a guest on that I have been waiting. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say patiently, but if I'm being super honest, I've kind of been like a little kid in a candy shop, like really, really excited for this interview. Um, I've been following Cody now for probably two years. And I've just seen such great content. Like he's one of those people that when I'm looking at ways to get a, a good message across to people and to portray that message in an understandable way while still getting great content and great information out there, it's his content or one of the people, but a lot of his content is what I look at to get high quality content. That's going to help as many people as possible. Uh, but Cody, if, if you're willing, bro, will you introduce yourself and just kind of, you know, talk about why you have the passion that you have? Cause nobody got into this industry without that. Cause honestly, like, even though, you know, over time you end up finding some success and some growth, you know, I'm sure you had to spend your years of grinding just like anybody else. So, so why did you get into fitness in the first place? And also maybe kind of throw in like what qualifies you to where, Obviously, we need to listen to you, man. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Uh, especially the fact that, you know, like if, if you're if you're the way you worded that uh, means a lot, because I think I think one of my one of my passions has always been writing and an effective writer is an effective storyteller, an effective storyteller, is somebody who can do exactly what you said, portray something and, and change people's perspectives and, and teach things in an understandable way, especially when it's a complex topic. So thank you, man. That means a lot to me. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, so, so who I am in a nutshell and why I'm here. And, and like you said, I mean, nobody really becomes a fitness trainer to make money. That's not, uh, no. <laughs> that's not typically the, the driving force, but you know, I, I grew up, uh, I grew up, 
uh, I wouldn't even say a, a problem child. I just was, I was never like, I was a great kid to my parents, sure. but I was, I, I wasn't the best student. I got in trouble. Um, mm. I joked around horrible grades, a lot of partying. I just, I just, you know, I did my thing and, uh, I had no drive. I had no ambition. I had zero idea what I wanted to be when I got older didn't want to go to college. Uh, I saw zero point in school, period. Um, so not the most it, likely candidate to, uh, and I was overweight, so not the most likely candidate to be fit or successful, <laughs> to be honest with right. you. But, um, you know, graduated. My dad told me, basically, uh, you have two options. Uh, move out, figure it out, or you can go to community college and, and go to school for business. And, and if you do well, I'll you'll sell oil because I'm in the oil industry and everybody needs oil. So I'll, we'll, I'll put you in here. There you go. I was like, well, I'm definitely not moving out because I graduated at 17 and didn't have a job. And I was like, all right, <laughs> let's go. So got a job at a, uh, a little pharmacy called Rite Aid on uh, mm. a highway in the hood uh, and uh, went to school uh, for business. And I just kind of started doing my thing and slowly, but surely I just, you know, like most young kids, my first, thought upon graduating and seeing my, some of my friends go play ball at college some of my friends are getting troubles. Like, man, I just want to look better. I want to feel better. I'm tired of, of having no energy. I'm tired of being uh, the worst person at pickup basketball because of my weight and, and I just can't right. hang. And, and, you know, so I basically just started going to the gym. I had two injuries prior to that on my knee, uh, tore my meniscus and then I tore my ACL, same knee and, uh, in high school. <laughs> so gained weight from Ooh. that and was like, man, I'm just gonna, you know, I'm gonna try to get fit, get healthy, I have all the time in the world now. So I started training and uh, long story short, man, I ran into this dude at the college gym, this little dungeon of a gym at the community college. Right. And uh, I was wearing this big knee brace and I was doing leg extensions. I'll never forget. And he came up and he was like, Hey, like, I think I could teach you a better way to rehab that knee. It's leg extensions. Probably not the best bet. You maybe try a gob squat no. first, you know? And no, uh, yeah, for sure. I'm an ignorant I think I might've been 18 at that point. I'm, I'm ignorant, young, feisty. I, I just looked at the dude and was just like, dude, get lost. Like whatever, man, this old <laughs> dude doesn't look in shape. I'm like, whatever. And he goes, all right, well, if you have a change of heart, man, I run the fitness program here. Uh, I'm in building 201. I was like, all right, whatever. He leaves weeks go by sitting in class, uh, business 101, uh, business development 101. And I remember raising my hand, asking question, asked the dude, like how many businesses he's ran. Cause I'm just curious mm-hmm. of his history. And he had never ran a business. He wasn't a business owner. He was just somebody who went to school for business and then he started teaching business. And I thought that was very, it just didn't make sense to be honest with you. So, uh, where's, where's that personal experience? Exactly. So, um, I just left. I was like, yo, I'm out of here. So I got up and walked out and I was passing the building that that dude said he was in. So I was like, you know what? I mean, it's either go home or pop in here and see what's up. So I literally just walked into his class and sat in the back, back class. And, and this, this is the day that my life changed, man. I remember seeing a baby on the projector screen in, in a crawling position. And he had all these arrows everywhere, like pointing to the different movement patterns and, and like what the baby was doing in that position and the joints and all these things. And I just was like, whoa, like this is fitness. This is crazy. Like what this, these people are talking about is the class was called functional movement. And, okay. uh, and man, like I, I was just hooked at that point. So I started getting more serious about training. I started popping into his class whenever I could. Um, and then I went home and tried to tell my dad, like, yo, I want to change my degree. Like I'm going to be a trainer. And obviously as a smart parent, you know, he said no. Cause he's like, you've been in the gym for three weeks. Yeah. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he didn't tell me this. He's like, you're still overweight. Like you're not, like you're not doing anything with it yet. So no. Right. 
But, you know, I'm stubborn, so I uh, went to school. I forged a signature, changed my degree, and, and I went on my finish journey and told them that I changed my degree months later when I had to sign up for new classes. <laughs> and uh, Dang. Yeah, so, I mean, now him and I laugh about it because, sure. you know, back then I'm like, hey, I'm going to do this fitness thing. And then and then it was like, I'm going to create an online fitness business. And everybody's like, what? Like, that's that, no. Like, I was like, there's people out there that are doing something online. And I would read their blogs. And I was like, I don't know how they make money, but, like, I'm going to do that. And yeah, you know, that was my plan. So, uh, I said, long story short, but this is turning long, but I I basically went through this two year college certified trainer, health coach thing. Um, it's like one of the only ones in the country actually was recognized by live strong, a bunch of places. So it's a really, really high qualified, uh, course in in college degree for it's for a two year school. And then I got certifications. I interned for him at his gym outside of the college. Then I interned for another gym out here in Seattle, which I got hired onto. And that guy told me, uh, you know, because I said to him, I want to build this online thing. And he was like, train people in person for five years. And then I think you you can, you know, earn the right to do that. And so I trained people six days a week for six and a half years at that gym. And and I got, you know, cert after cert after cert after nutritionist. Uh, I went through three different year-long nutrition courses to get where I am today over time, um, different ones on top of short-term, like one-month, three-month weekend courses and stuff like that. Um, but just all kinds of stuff, man. Did a bodybuilding show, was working with people, writing blogs every single week, started Instagram. Like, i just been obsessed with learning and then passing that knowledge on, you know? And I think that's, yeah. that's like, been my long-term marketing strategy. You know, people ask me, like, how I built it, and it's like, man, I've just been giving free content for as long as I can remember. And, uh, and now we're here today and, uh, I run a company called Taylor coaching method. We work with people online around the world. Um, and we were doing that in a very professional and systemized manner well before COVID. So, um, obviously we were prepared, but we weren't one of the ones that was a gym who turned into an online coach. Like this is what we do. And, uh, and we have coaches around the world too. I have a coach in Canada, one in London, one in Germany, uh, one in Brazil. Then we have them scattered around the country and here in the United States. So, um, we're everywhere, man. And, and, and we, we literally just do one thing and that's just coach. Bro, I didn't realize you guys were that big, but it's crazy. Just backtracking a hair, like you saying that you struggled in school is crazy to me. Like just reading your content and, and listening to your podcast, I've never met anybody that does as much quote unquote self-help as you do. Like, aren't you consistently reading like three books at a time, you know, consistently doing master classes, doing more certifications, trying to better yourself. Like it's crazy. Like I, I look at some of that stuff and I'm like, man, and I, you know, for me, like I'll immediately jump in and try and be just like Cody McBroom, even though that only usually lasts like a week. And so I'm, I'm just kind of in that baby step phase of like, okay, I'm going to read 15 minutes a day. Mm-hmm. And, and once I get comfortable with that, we're going to add some more, but it's just, it's crazy. Cause that just doesn't fit your personality type anymore. Yeah. But anyways, moving on. One of the things that attracted me to you from the very, very beginning, one of the things that just made me love your content was one of the very first podcast episodes of yours that I listened to. You made a reference to some people that I absolutely love and admire. And it was, uh, so I'm a strong first guy. And so you were, and you were talking about Pavel and coach Dan, John, and, and some of those people are, are people that I know personally, and I'm great friends with them. And I love those guys. Right. So my question to you is, you know, as, as you have worked with people in the industry, who has given you the most inspiration? Whose path do you kind of try and emulate a little bit? Mm. 
Oh, that's a hard question to answer. Um, uh, there's a lot that I want to say on all the things you just said too, man, just to go back for a <laughs> sec first is like, you know, I think, you know, people see, and even right now, actually, I, I, there was a period of time where I was reading three books at a time and I would seg- separate the times that I was reading throughout the day so I could do it. Now I would say it's like one book and one audio. Um, mm. but it's mainly because, you get to a certain point with your business where it's so hard to let go of doing continued education with training and nutrition and stuff like that. But there gets a point where you go, the most important thing for me to understand and learn is human connection, marketing and leadership right now, because Mm. now I'm a CEO. I'm not just a coach anymore. I'm still a coach and I will always be a coach. But for a long time, it was like, how can I get better at training nutrition? day after day after day after day. Now I selfishly want to do the next training or nutrition course because I just love that shit. But at the same time, I'm like, how do I become a better leader and understand how to communicate and connect with my team and my members and my clients and my followers and all these people better so that they do better, right? So now I'm coaching coaches um, and that doesn't always mean training and nutrition. That's why we hired a CSO, chief science officer. He, He He's a researcher in the field. He coaches them on that stuff a lot too. So I can step away and do the leadership, do the life stuff. Um, but I, but it, it came from doing exactly what you said. I started with 15 minutes, man. Like it was even like, even stuff with like meditation. I remember, I remember being like considering meditation, but ultimately being like, that's for hippies. Like that's weird. Like, <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know, thinking <laughs> like, like, why do I have this urge to smoke pot right now? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like, and I don't want to sit like cross-legged on a carpet going, cause that's like, what like comes to my mind, you know, like holding crystals in my hand or something. Um, but ultimately I saw, you know, I I started getting really fascinated with entrepreneurs and CEOs and I started studying them and their, I was reading uh, bibliographies and stuff like that and listening to interviews. And I'm like, Oh, Rob Dyrdek, super successful dude that I can relate to. He meditates every single day. He has a meditation chamber in his house. That was probably like 10 grand. That's pretty crazy. Tony Robbins, he meditates too. Wow. Uh, that Dean dude, he, he meditates these gym owners. I know, fuck, they meditate. And then all of a sudden I'm like, okay, let me put two and two together. These people are creating clarity and stillness and it makes them more productive to be more successful. Right. In school, they're like, we need to learn fucking calculus or algebra. I'm like, no, I don't. I'm never going to use this. I'm, I'm literally never going to use this. And by the way, I never got past pre-algebra for those listening. You can still be (laughs) successful without fucking math. Like I took business math in college and that helped. Cause we're talking taxes and finances and sales. But right. I think like, you know, and it's funny because I, I actually, my dad found my report cards from high school not that long ago. And we were, we were at his, I was having a drink looking at him laughing because my average was D's. I got a couple C's, uh, and, uh, <laughs> acting class. I always got an A. That was the only class drama, uh, yes. but cause I <laughs> love that shit. But but a lot of the comments were funny. Like a lot of it was like too social, talks too much, just wants to have fun. And that's true. Like I cared more about connecting with other human beings and making the teacher laugh than, mm. you know, all the teachers love me, but I wasn't the best student. And, and part of them, you know, that saying where they're always like has potential, but doesn't apply himself. Like, right. yeah. And when you're in school, you're kind of like, what are you talking about? Like, it's so it's such a weird thing. It was 100% the case. I, I felt no need to apply what they were teaching me. So I think going right. back is like, you know, all the stuff I do today, I understand why I'm doing it. And, and that's why I'm so good with it and consistent and it works so well. And it even goes into our coaching and it's why I'm so passionate about the education side and the content, because I, I use that same frame of, of lens for our clients. I think, you know, our clients are going to adhere better and believe in, in this system more and get better results if they understand why the fuck they're doing it. 
right? In school, right. I had no idea why you were teaching me this. So I did, I never had interest in it. And so I was a horrible student. But if I teach my clients why they're doing this, how it's going to work and, and show them like, hey, I want to give you the magic trick. So in two years, three years, when you're no longer with me, you can do it too. And you can do it on right. your own. Um, so I think those are, those are big principles that like, I, I just want to share based on what you're saying. And, and it's like going into the people that influence me, probably a lot of the same people that influence you, to be honest with you. I think I was very, very fortunate. And there's a lot of people that are coming into the industry who are my age. Cause I'm only 28. I'll be 29 this summer. Um, right. cause I started really young, but because of that, I was fortunate enough to meet like the OGs in the industry. Yeah. And there's a lot of people who don't get the chance to learn from them because they're not Insta famous and it's, and it's a shame. But when I first started that dude who came into the gym that I brushed off shoulders and then later ended up joining his class and everything. Little did I know that he was training uh, Olympic swimmers. He worked with uh, Deion Sanders at one point, some college teams. He was a, a college rower. He's best, like literally really, really good friends with Dan John, Charlie Weingroff, Alan Cosgrove, okay. Martin Rooney, uh, Michael Boyle, like these people that are legends, right? And then he introduced me to this guy named Luca Hosovar, who is mm. a Slovenian savage who just happens to know Pavel and he knows all these right. other people in the industry. Um, Eric Cressy, like, so I get introduced to all these people and I get these teachings from all them and they spoke to my class and I went to their seminars and they came and did workshops at our gym. Like I just was so fortunate from, to learn from all these people who truly understood strength and conditioning. Um, and that's actually why I didn't even, uh, go and get like a bachelor's and a master's. Cause that was my plan was to transfer, go keep going. Cause I thought I needed an exercise science degree. And I was actually talking, I got advice from multiple people and it was finally Nate Green who told me that it was unnecessary. He was like, man, I have a degree and there's nothing wrong with a degree, but unless you plan on being on an NFL field, coaching them, like, dude, you're in the right place. You're surrounded by the right people. Just go, yep. just take action. You're young. You're going to be ahead of people. And I'll never forget that advice, you know, cause me and Nate aren't friends. We don't talk today. I was just a dude that knew him because Luca knew him and I wanted to pick his brain one time and I like, he's somebody right. I looked up to and he gave me that advice and it stuck with me. Um, but there's so many people, man. Um, Tim Vagan is the, the guy that, that, uh, I, I owe it all to. He was the guy that ran the program. He's the guy that introduced me to all these people. And then he introduced mm -hmm. me to Luca, Luca, who's who owned the gym out here that I trained under for six and a half years. Um, until I found out I was going to have a daughter and then I left, gave, left all my clients behind, partnered them with the right coach at, under, at his facility, just out of respect. And then I went and built my online business from scratch and grew that. And there's been so Bro. many mentors along the way. Um, Jason Phillips helped me for a while. Steve Krebs helped me for a while. Um, I learned from all those guys that I talked about on the training side for a long time. Um, I have a mentor named Andreas who he's, he owns 27 businesses and I'm not exaggerating. He literally owns 27 different businesses, either wow. fully owns or part time owns or like partially owns. He's the most successful person I've ever met, right? but he's so humble that you wouldn't know it. And that's what I love about him. And he, mm. he has a successful family. He's, he's a big part of his church. He has all these mentor, like, it's just like, like this dude's day is 48 hours. It's crazy. So he's been Dang. a big influence, you know? So there's all these people that have influenced me and, and been impactful in what I do. Um, I don't even think I can say there's one person that, that really, I mean, even from afar, Eric Helms, Jackson Pios, all these researchers, people like Mike Dola, who runs Stronger You, I watch what he does from a business perspective. Uh, Mike Matthews, who I have the pleasure of talking with and being pretty cool with now, um, who Legion, owns Legion. Right? Yep. Mike Matthews, Legion? Yep, the owner of Legion. I take a lot away from him when it comes to marketing and copywriting. So I'm always kind of watching and, and 
but I always say like, you got to also keep your blinders on. Like I'm less interested in how many clients they have or how much money they make and more interested in how right. they're delivering a message and representing their business because that's right. what I can take away without comparison syndrome fucking up my flow and, and stop me from taking action. If that makes sense. Bro, I get that so much. So, so my experience, I got, I got really lucky. Okay. So Dan John lives in Utah. Okay. okay. And he's actually, so he's, it's crazy. Cause I didn't realize how successful he was when I met him. And then I started looking in and you start seeing his men's health articles and you start seeing how famous he is. And he's a keynote speaker that charges like, you know, $25,000 every time that he goes and speaks anywhere. Right. Like it's nuts, but you talk, you meet that guy. So he still brings people to his house to train in his garage, bro. Yeah. Like, and that's, that's legit. Like I just had a buddy of mine that was training over there. And he just completely changed my perspective. Like I was, you know, I'm a prior service military guy and I was still teaching, you know, good philosophies and good things like that. But the approach was just a little bit skewed. The amount of effort I was putting into things was a little bit different than what it should be. Then I walk into Dan John's gym and his philosophy is your last lift should be your best one. And if you can make a career out of never missing a single heavy lift, because, you know, he likes to throw discs and javelins and things like that. And so his biggest thing is you should always be able to progress upwards. You should never like be to that point where so many of us are just pushing, pushing, pushing in that 90, 95, 99, 100% range for such a long time. And we're failing on a consistent basis because we're pushing our body and our central nervous systems way too far uh, but with that being said, you know, I want to pick your brain just a little bit about training. Okay. So the majority of people that I talk to, you know, a lot of them are already going to the gym and it feels like I have two extremes. Okay. So I've got the average person that is kind of following the letter of the law and they're doing, you know, whatever their programming is, whether it's five sets of 12 at, you know, the same weight that they were doing that five sets of 12, like, you know, a year ago, truthfully, and then I've got the other direction of people that are, you know, maxing out and going for a deadlift PR every single Sunday. When you are writing and designing a training protocol for somebody, what are the basics of things that people genuinely like 100%? These are some things that you absolutely must do in order to have a high quality training program. And then once they cover the basics, what then after those basics are covered, like what are some of the more complex things that you then start teaching people? Mm, yeah, that's a really good question. I think, uh, and, and I partially agree with Dan John, and I'm going to explain as I kind of dive into my answers to your question, I think you'll see why. Um, and I don't mean that in a sense that he's wrong. I just, I'm a very individualized person. It depends, yeah. you know, who am I working with? Because if I'm working with somebody that wants to maximize hypertrophy, you're going to be fatigued by the end of the session, but it's not something that's going to be neurologically draining because it's, it's taxing in a different way. It's metabolically right. taxing. It's, it's building metabolites in the muscle. You're getting pumped, like so on and so forth. But, um, the things that I think like th the first thing that comes to mind when I think of like, what is paramount foundational fundamental, like you can't skip this. It's the movement patterns. Um, mm. You know, in school, we always said, and this is straight from people like Dan John, push, pull, hip, knee, core. That was, that's your checklist, right? Push, pull, hip, hinge, knee dominant movement. So basically a squat variation and then core, which could be, right. I would say if you want to get really functional, it could just be carry, but. Okay. Does this apply? Does that apply to both bodybuilders, powerlifters, and just 
athletes? I think so. Because I think that, you know, I think it's a mistake when bodybuilders program only thinking about muscle groups. Um, right rather than movement patterns because for a few reasons if we just talk about their main goal like they're like hey like i don't give a shit about functional training i just want to build as much muscle as possible well if you don't consider the functions of the muscle and the movements that the joints make which the muscle operates you're not going to maximize hypertrophy period because the muscle doesn't move in one fashion right so when a bodybuilder has a chest day and they go barbell bench, then dumbbell bench, and then incline bench. It's like, okay, you're pressing and pressing and pressing and pressing. Not only is that hard on your shoulders after a while, but also yeah. you're stressing the muscle in one direction, in one movement. And the pec specifically is a fan-shaped muscle, um, which if you want to get super, super technical, that's where we start changing the angles and the movement patterns, right? Easily 100%. put, we have to do a fly, right? But yep. beyond a bench press and a fly, what else can we really do? Not that much. So I'm the type that says, hey, instead of having a chest day, let's train your chest two times a week. If you really want to specialize three times a week. And yes, we will be doing a pressing and a fly variation on both of those days. And we're probably going to have a overload movement, like an extra fatigue movement that could be like a a deficit push up. So an extended range of motion. So we're kind of combining the two, but you're doing something to fatigue the muscle outside of just adding load. Right. And we throw that on the end. Um, But I, I do think it's best to program with movement patterns for, from that perspective, but also from um, from a, a injury prevention perspective, it just tends to be the the best way and the most functional way. Um, but it all comes down to again, push pull hip knee core, like that's step one. That used to, in a full body setting, it's really easy because you just look at your day. It's like, do I have a push? Do I have yep. a pull? Perfect. Do I have a hip hinge? Perfect. Do I have a squat? Yes. Something for your core. We used to say carry because carry's like, I mean, Dan John's the king of carries. Like he's oh, huge yeah. on those. I say core just because it's like, well, you know what? If you want to do a plank, you can do plank. Some people need more sure. anti-rotation than they need core. You know, some people need anti-extension because they're, uh, they have different issues with their low back or whatever it may be. So we'll change right. that up. But push, pull, hip, knee, core is step one. Um, step two would be, okay, you're doing a split because you have aesthetic goals. It's still push, pull, hip, knee, core, but now we're spreading out across the week, right? Mm. You have an upper, lower split. So obviously, we're not going to do a hip hinge and a knee dominant movement today, but we are going to do a push, pull, both horizontal and vertical, right? Somebody who's more advanced, this is where it starts getting more nitty gritty. We go, okay, you got the push, pull, horizontal, push, pull, vertical, which I would always favor horizontal over vertical anything for most people, um, especially gen pop until I feel comfortable and confident with their shoulder and overhead reach and mobility. But um, after those, we go, okay, now you need more volume. Now what can we do? And this is where we start looking at um, variations through different movement patterns of that muscle, right? And again, okay, I'm not going to add a fly to the everyday person who's doing three days a week of training, right? But the advanced person who's training four, five, six days that wants to build muscle, okay, we have a press. Now we're going to add a fly. You know, um, we're doing a regular curl with a neutral shoulder position. Now we want to do one with a flexed shoulder position and we want to do one with extended shoulder position. Different joint angles create different emphases on the stretch shortening cycle. So for example, in an extended position, we have a deeper stretch on the bicep and the bicep heads in a different position when we contract it in a flex position. We're more emphasizing the shortened position. It's going to create more stress there. And there's actually a study done on the bicep curl where they put Two groups, one group just did nine sets of regular neutral shoulder position. One group did flexed, extended, neutral, and they grew more because they changed the movement pattern, the joint position. And that applies to your hip and your knee and your shoulders and everything. So um, as we get more nitty gritty, we can start looking at those things and adding more exercise variations. um, And that's where we start tracking volume. Usually people are going to be in that 10 to 20 sets per muscle group per week range when it comes to actually 
seeing physical changes with their body composition. That's it's a big range. Obviously, the more advanced you get, the closer you are to twenty. The newer right. you are, the closer you are to ten. Um, and uh, and beyond that, like I would say, the last thing I would say is, is before I, like getting really really hyper focused, where I'm adding pauses, I'm adding negatives and tempos and right. th- things that aren't universally applicable, but maybe to a specific individual I'm coaching, dependent on what we're seeing week to week. Um, cool. at that point, and even like, I would even say periodization, how are you progressing? Cause that's different person to person. And, and how long is a block for, you know, some people it works best for three weeks, some at six. So there's a lot sure. of things that get into the nitty gritty, but the thing I think people overlook that I'll, I'll put in with the brand new person as well as the most advanced person is exercise sequencing. And this is where mm-hmm. I think John, uh, or Dan, John and I, I wouldn't even say it's disagreeing with him to an extent, but I'm really specific with the order of operations in a session because yes, I think you should be still performing well at the end because if you're failing at the end, if you're having technique breakdown, like, yeah, you went too far, you're going to get injured. Right. But if you're failing on a curl with perfect form at the end of a session, because you just reached that fatigue point, that's actually positive for hypertrophy. Like that's not a bad thing. So it's all context specific, but with exercise sequencing, it's, it's a matter of preparing you for the most intense aspect of the training session, saving energy for the most energy demanding and, and skill demanding uh, exercises of the day and then slowly tapering that down. So for example, we start with an activation and then a priming circuit. So activation for a squat day might be leg curls, uh, side planks and face pulls or some kind of anti-rotation, right? We're just activating muscles. We're, we're getting through movement pattern. That's going to support your posterior chain, it's going to support the the joints going right. through those heavy movements. Then we'll go through a priming session. If we're squatting today, I'm going to do some kind of jump, right? I'm going to do a box jump, a dumbbell jump, just a regular vertical jump, just explosive squat pattern, period. Then I'm going to squat really heavy. And then I'm going to move to the most demanding uh, accessory lift. That might be a barbell RDL. The injury risk is much higher than a leg extension or a lunge or whatever hypertrophy isolation movements I'm going to do later on, but it's not as demanding as a squat because it's higher rep, it's lighter weight, and it's it's more tempo focused because RDLs, you know, big hamstring stretcher. Um, And then, well, and it's the safe version of a deadlift, honestly. Exactly, it's it's definitely to me it's the most uh, aesthetic focused deadlift, really. I mean, um, because regular deadlift's not the best muscle builder. It's more of a strength builder, but hundred percent after that, we go into isolation work. I don't need to think very hard about a leg extension or a dumbbell reverse lunge, nor is the skill that crazy. So I don't need as much mental focus or total energy to do it, which is why it comes after right. squat and RDL. And then the finisher is the thing that it's an assault bike. It's a carry. It's, it's, I don't even need to think about it. I just got to fucking grind through it. And so if we're, we're sequencing our exercises this way, we're saving our energy, we're, we're managing our fatigue better, and we're making sure mentally we're clear when the things that have higher injury risk are present. Um, mm. And I, I feel confident pushing you at the end, like really hard, because it's a safe exercise. Like an assault bike, for example, there's no eccentric load. You're not going right. to have crazy soreness. You're not going to get hurt. I want you to crank on that thing. Sled, same thing. I love the sled for a finisher. But even something mm. like a leg matrix, which would be uh, 24 air squats, 24 lunges, 24 jump squats, 24 jumping lunges, 12 per side. Brutal, but it's body weight. The worst thing that could happen is like you have a shaky air squat and you kind of like sit down. Sure. You know, Um, and I can push you towards failure on that. But the failure is not joint pain or literal burnout. It's like I have so much lactic acid in my quads. Like it's like painful in a funny way. (laughs) So like we can do that. But I think like, 
movement patterns come first. Uh, then I would say volume and then the exercise sequencing. Those are like the things that I think are really important that people kind of miss the ball on. You know, I like that a lot. So I wanted to touch on a couple things just to explain. I always, I'm super annoying, bro. I sometimes just kind of explain things just to make sure that even, you know, the most beginner level listener can, can kind of catch on to what we're talking totally. about here. Um, so what Cody's talking about with bench and chest in particular, okay. Just so that you're aware bench press, for example, is actually probably not the best movement that you can possibly do to build your chest. It's a great movement to build your lats. And it does also put, give you some shoulder strength as well. But what he's saying is that if you really want to engage your chest in the gym, your hands actually have to, your arm in general actually has to cross towards the inside of your body. And so bench press isn't going to really work for that. There are accessory machines at the gym that help you specifically target that chest. But if you're bench pressing, it's primarily to build strength in the bench press. That's why we do that. We do it because I want to bench more weight and I enjoy benching and it's fun. And that's why we do that. It's if you're trying to have a chest that, you know, looks ginormous, then there's probably a better method to go about that. Right. Um, when you're talking about movement patterns, bro, I love how you break that down. Because when you primarily start talking about movement patterns, you know, for so many people, if they would take the time to learn those movement patterns at 50, 60% load capacity, instead of immediately jumping into the volume. And, and it's just because we read so much garbage on, on men's health or whatever, talking about, well, volume, 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 but your movement pattern has to be great first. And so I've, I freaking love that. And actually, you know, while I'm talking about movement patterns, I'm curious with your multiple knee injuries, how does that affect your movement pattern in your squat specifically? And, you know, when you're coaching somebody with a major knee injury like that, it's got to give you a leg up on kind of getting them to that next level too, I would imagine. Yeah. Um, I, I, and I'm glad you, you broke that down earlier too, because I think that is important for people to understand. And even like I, I mentioned the fan shape thing. I know there's probably a lot of people that, that went over their head, but like he was saying, with a fan-shaped muscle like the, the pec or the lat, you, you actually right. do need to work abduction and adduction of the shoulder. So right. a bench press, you're not doing that. Um, a fly, you are. But this is even, I don't know about you, but I would take a dumbbell bench press over a barbell bench press for hypertrophy any day, yep. all day, because I can extend the range of motion because there's not a bar stopping me, and I can change yep. my grip, my shoulder, and my elbow angle to, to enhance that adduction abduction so I feel it way more um same thing with a lat a lot of people just pull down but they need to actually drive and actually kind of sometimes laterally rotate their their core so their trunk so I like single leg or single arm lat pull downs as well for that but easier on my elbows too so much better um but this is that's again that's where like the nitty-gritty stuff where I start talking to people I'm like hey like notice like you know what's the best grip well try them out and see what feels best. Like I want in certain cues work better too, you know, like drive your elbow towards your waist and you'll get that abduction. Like some people don't feel that, you know, they won't know what that feels like. And we got to think of ways and analogies and stories to tell them, to get them to engage. But um, now as far as, uh, as far as my knee, man, it's been wild because I had, uh, I tore my meniscus in when I was a junior in high school in soccer and then I tore my ACL in soccer my senior year, same knee. Okay. And then I actually retore my meniscus a uh, couple years later and didn't know. Um, I thought it Ooh. was just my knee acting up. 
But basically, I had a bucket handle tear, which is, for those who don't know, your meniscus, you have two, a lateral, medial, and one of them, they're, they're basically like a shape of a U. It's a pad in between your, your, your femur and your tibia. And if you have a bucket handle tear, it's basically broken in, in, the, in the middle or at a quarter of it, and it pushes itself underneath the joint in between the bone. So you, you essentially can't extend or flex your knee. It just locks up. Most people okay. get this issue, and they go to the doctor, and the doctor says, you know, you got this. Well, what I did is I figured if I just kick really hard, my knee would pop back into place. And, <laughs> and sure enough, it did. So I would literally Whoa. just extend my knee as hard as I could. And you would hear just this loud pop and it would go right back into place. It didn't hurt a ton. It just felt really weird. Right. And it would go back and I'd just go about my shit. So it would happen every once in a while. Um, it got really bad when I got into Brazilian jiu-jitsu because you have to be on your knees so much. And that's when it started right. like going in and out. And I was like, okay, something's, something's wrong here. Um, shortly after that, I was rolling out of bed to get my daughter in 2019, February. It's so not that long ago. And right. it just tore all the way and it wasn't popping back in. Um, and my daughter's crying. My wife's like, are you going to get her? And I'm like, I can't move. I'm like holding my leg. <laughs> so we went, went to the hospital the next morning. Tough lady, bro. <laughs> oh yeah. She's like, get up, get your ass up. And, uh, we went to the hospital the next day and they're like, yeah, this is, this is torn. So when we got the x-ray, they're like, dude, it's mush. Like this has been torn for a long time. So, um, mm. but Long story short, I actually didn't back squat for a long time, man, because it, right. I couldn't do full range of motion because my knee would lock up. So I was doing partial squats, box squats, trap bar deadlifts, uh, and a lot of split squats. Like uh, my my gym partner makes fun of me because because he benches a ton, and uh, you know, like you know, the, the typical question like how much you bench, and I'm I always say like I wish people would ask like yo how much you Bulgarian split squat because yeah. My Bulgarian split squat is mean, dude. And like, he's yeah, a, I've seen it, bro. He's a big dude and he's way bigger than me. And I just crush his, his split squat. But it's because like, I always just did split squats. Um, but essentially what would happen is I started back squatting at a partial range of motion and I would, I would compensate and I would shift to my right side, which is my good knee subconsciously. Right. And I didn't know until I started filming myself lift, which I encourage people to do so you can see these things, but it was causing tension in my hip. And then that caused tension in my lumbar spine. And so I had this reoccurring back injury that would happen. It would take me out. I'd have to go to the Cairo and the PT for a while, work on pelvic floor training. I had a weak core. My hip was out of, out of alignment. And, uh, every once in a while I'd go real heavy again and, it would happen again. So it wasn't until this last 2019 surgery where they did a complete repair. I rehabbed properly. Um, I, I stayed away from squats for a long time and really did the right things that um, I was able to incorporate back squats again. And now I can squat ass to grass heavier than I've ever been able to squat in my life. Uh, it's right. still my weakest lift, but, but like I can throw, you know, 350, 375 on my back and squat one to three and it's clean. Like it's, and it's deep. And, and yeah, I, bro. And that's for you. That's still double your body weight, right? Yeah. I'm 175 pounds. So it's, it's, yeah. it's a solid lift. Um, but it, it ultimately, it, the thing that helped me the most, honestly, in this last recovery from it was I did a lot of blood flow restriction, um, mm. even to the point of like blood flow restriction, walking and, and just getting a pump in my legs from walking, which is a weird thing, but, um, it's just creating blood flow in, in the joint, in the muscle, it's rebuilding muscle tissue. It's, it's catching my left leg up to my right leg. Cause it's always been a little bit smaller. Um, yep. a, a lot of unilateral training. So a lot of pistol squats to boxes, a lot of airborne lunges, things that require a lot of knee stability, um, a step up on a really high box to where I can control the negative, just body weight for like 10 seconds, as crazy as that sounds. But 
working things like that, single leg RDLs were huge. Um, and then a lot of ham- hamstring development, just tons of hamstring development. And then eventually I started incorporating the squat. And I would say this too. I also did a lot of uh, bridges, hip thrusts, dead bugs, uh, side planks, bird dogs, like the typical Stuart McGill low back training, but realistically even reverse hypers, stuff like that. Realistically, just a lot of intra abdominal work because that okay. was my weak point. Um, and that's what ultimately led to like my knee feels better. My back feels better than ever. Um, I had a recent back tweak not too long ago and it was just, I was trying to hit one rep max and it was just, yeah, it was stupid, but, um, but nope. yeah. And it was one of the, you know, it took me out for a week or two and then I'm sure. back. It wasn't like anything too crazy. Like it had been in the past, but man, it stopped me a lot. And I think with, with training people who have those injuries, um, first step is like the question, why do you want to squat? You know, mm. people are like, oh, I got to get under the bargain. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. Are you a power lifter? No. Okay. Why do you want to squat? You know, and right. it's, and it's partially ego. It's partially like the squat's just fucking cool. And I'm like, okay, cool. Well, let's do this. Let's not squat for six months and work on the shit that you need to work on. And then we can return the squat and you'll be better than ever and you won't get injured. Right. And I think that's yep. usually the best route is removing it completely. Um, and, and I think it's, especially for people who have aesthetic goals or body composition goals, like you don't really need to squat or deadlift. It's no. just really fun. So we like to yeah. do it, you know, and don't get me wrong. I love yep. deadlifting. I love squatting. But, you know, at this point I was like, I'm not going to squat for a while. I'm going to do a lot of unilateral work. And, and even in this, the same advice applies for people with, uh, even more so with low back issues because it's this isn't exactly how the math works. But if you do a 200-pound squat, barbell on your back, that's sure. 100, 100 pounds per leg if you're squatting evenly and 200 pounds on your spine. If you do a 50-pound uh, dumbbell in each hand split squat, that's 100 right. pounds per leg, virtually nothing on your spine. But if, if you're going to count the weight on your spine, which it's not in your spine because it's loaded on the sides, it's 100 pounds, half the weight on your spine and your joints versus, you know, the, the 200 pounds. Um, it doesn't always work out evenly like that, but it's a good like theoretical message for people to hear. Cause you can still yep. place the same amount of stress on the muscle is the big thing. Um, but yeah, man, in a nutshell, I think that's, that was the biggest things It's the core work. It's the hamstring development and, and unilateral training slowly, but surely increasing my range of motion with those things until my knee was really in a good place where I felt really good about it. I love hearing about it, bro. I, I recently, so I, I've, I've had a, some, some, fairly significant shoulder injuries where I've had to do some stuff, but never a knee, um, your blood flow restriction. I'm assuming you have voodoo bands, right? Um, they were a different brand, but yeah, I mean, yeah. So the same, same stuff that we do for like ankle mobility and things like that. You're just Mm -hmm. doing it with your knee. Yep, exactly. So I just wrap it around the, I mean, you can do it around the, so this is where it gets tricky. You can wrap it around the calf and you can actually do blood flow restriction for your calf as well, which is helpful. I didn't because this last time when I got, this is actually pretty scary. (laughs) When I tore my meniscus in 2019, um, when got the MRI, they told me what it was. They called me like two days later. I was in a coffee shop doing some work and, uh, the hospital calls me and they're like, Hey, uh, how quickly can you get here? I'm like, wait, what's going on? And they're like, um, you have a, uh, a blood clot in, uh, in your knee and it's, and it's going up and we want to make sure, Whoa. yeah, you don't get blood into your lungs and die. And I'm just yeah. like, uh, <laughs> like the can I get my Starbucks real quick? Like, what, wait, what? <laughs> I was like, all right, I'll be down there. So I called my wife. I was like, you gotta meet me at the hospital. Like they're telling me some scary shit. So we rushed down there and they stopped it from, from going further and everything. But, um, she hated it. She had to, <laughs> we, because where it was and we needed immediate response, they, I actually had to have her inject me with a 
uh, blood thinner every oh. day. And at the time I was pretty lean. So the doctor's like, you have to do this like right on your love handles because you have no fat anywhere. And so like, I literally had bruises from my wife jabbing me for two weeks straight every day, like all around my oh, like sides. Bro, that freaking sucks. It was almost worse <laughs> for her than me. Cause she's like super slow. I'm like, okay, okay, here it comes. I'm going to do it. And I'm, she's like, so sweet. I'm just like, just fuck, just do it. Just like, do it. <laughs> just fucking poke me. But, uh, get it done and squeeze hard. Baby. Yeah. So I, so I avoided the, uh, the calf blood flow restriction, but I did the, on my quad. So you, it's kind of uncomfortable, uh, for guys, but you just wrap it pretty damn high up and you're growing and, right. um, goblet squats, air squats, even like I would do, uh, I would put blood flow restriction on and put an ankle weight on my ankle and do leg extensions okay. off of a table or a bench which sounds like nothing, but after having knee surgery, dude, you get a nasty mm. quad pump. And all you're trying to do here for the people listening is you're creating a lot of metabolic stress and blood flow into a muscle that has right. damage to it or has been weakened, but you're virtually putting no tension or load on the joint, which is right. trying to recover still. And also there, there's a lot of research coming out and they're even recommending people you know, less ice after surgery now and, and don't do mm -hmm. that as much because we actually want to move it and get blood flow there because that blood flow is going to help the recovery process. So this is a good way to recover the joint as well. Um, but I would do a lot of those air squats, uh, even like, man, I would do like, uh, for my hamstrings, like single leg hip thrust, I would walk around a track. Like I, it was basically how much blood flow can I bring without creating overload on the joint, uh, throughout the week. And that helped a ton to, to repair. There, so there's, there's a few things that I wanted to touch on too, that I, I love that you mention it. Cause it's things that people don't always think about. I think, cause they're like, you know, I had a coach for example, and I had somebody work on my squat and my squat was beautiful. And they're not necessarily planning for those adjustments that happen to your squat. But here's a scenario that I actually, I've seen it happen on multiple occasions. Um, you know, and as a squat coach, like you just have an understanding, like this happens. Like, so if you're going on a hike and you roll your ankle on a hike, right. And your ankle is not good enough to hike yet, but you still feel comfortable enough with squatting. Here's the thing, whether you're noticing it or not. Okay. Your subconscious, your natural pain receptors in your body are going to tell you to shift the weight off of that injured ankle and to move it over onto the less injured ankle, which is part for a lot of people. It's, it's not on purpose. They don't realize they're doing it. They're just trying to move their bodies after they rolled their ankle or whatever. But gen, like that's something that's actually really, really common. Something that has nothing to do with your squat is actually causing you to have, you know, some, some weird stuff happening to your movement pattern within your squat. So it's, it's super, super important to make sure that whether it's you know, you're recording your squat for yourself to look at or having somebody else to look at your squat, really all your compound movements, in my opinion, just to have somebody take a look at it and help recognize for you, like, hey, there's this natural shift that's happened. I'm not sure why. But yeah, I had that same experience because I, I actually had a slight tear in my hamstring. And I didn't realize that I was shifting over to my left side until all of a sudden my lower back seized up a little bit. I was like, what is going on with that? That mm -hmm. is not supposed to happen. And so, yeah, I'm glad you talked about that. Cause that's super, super important in my opinion. And then the other thing that you said was, you know, why do you squat? And you know, the thing that I consistently try and tell people is like, look, how many times have you seen Michael Jordan's butt touch his heels before he goes up for a dunk? 
It's never happened. So if it like, why, why in the world are you training your squad? Mm -hmm. If your overall, you know, goal is to be more athletic or, or to, you know, be able to move better on a football field or whatever that goal is like, you know, it's funny because there's this huge thing on, on TikTok right now where you got all these form checkers out there trying to tell people how, you know, messed up their form is and all this stuff. I'm like, look, bro, there is a very small number of people that legitimately needs to hit parallel on those squats. And those people are usually doing it in some sort of a competition and hopefully have the potential of having some sort of sponsorship one day. Cause otherwise it's just not that necessary to make sure that, I mean, don't get me wrong. It is. I mean, there are benefits to training the bottom of your squat. So if you can do that injury free and get to that place, you should, but recognize what you're training for and, and definitely, you know, program your training into a place where you're actually helping yourself get towards your goals. Yeah. I think that's a good point, man. I, I remember, I remember, uh, uh, when I was interning, I was working with a, uh, they had a lot of athletes that would come through and there was an athletic mm. strength coach there. And I asked the same question, like, why do you have everybody box squatting? Why? Like I always thought full range of motion was better. And he was like, well, none of my athletes squat ass to grass before they go up for a rebound. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, well, that's a good fucking point. So build, <laughs> I think Poliquin had that famous quote of like strength is is built in the range it's range it's trained or something like that so it's like yep. training that range you know for for me like personally I, i'm i'm a close stance uh full range of motion squatter but why is that well it's because my number one goal is to build muscle so right how do i place the most because i'm doing the squat for my quads how do i place the most stress on my quads well it's not yep. load it's not wide it's it's closer stance heels elevated ass to grass right and that means yep. i i do lower the load so i can control the movement and slow things down and everything like that. So I think that's, that's super important. Um, and, and a lot of people just don't, they just don't think about that. They do whatever right. they see, right. And they see right. these things. And I think that's, that's the biggest thing, right? Yeah, for sure. For sure. So there's one other thing that I wanted to talk to you about and then we'll, and then we'll kind of wrap things up, but I saw your post. I want to say it was a week ago and it was your post on protein. Okay. Mm. And so you're talking about protein. You're talking about the benefits of protein. Um, I would love for you to talk about protein a little bit because I think it's something that's not talked about enough. And it also seems to be like the biggest struggle in particular, not to sound sexist at all, but for whatever reason, a lot of my female clients do not love getting their protein numbers up yeah. there. So if we could talk a little bit about protein and why it's so important and how it's probably not going to cause cancer, damage your kidneys, um, and then potentially for people that struggle with eating meat, what kind of, first of all, what kind of foods do you suggest for them? And then how do you get them into that mindset and wrapped around the idea of like, Hey, this is really important. Maybe I should get into it. Yeah. Um, and this is, this is a big topic, man. I've, I've done, I've written 5,000 word blogs on it. I've done an hour long podcast just on protein. So it's, it's a, it's a deep dive topic, but I think, you know, it's funny because <clears throat> A lot of the the false claims can't be backed up. They just can't like the the right. kidney thing, the pro like too much protein, the, like even even like that it's it's bad for gut health. That can't even be proven with science because there's no research that shows anything. Some people get more bloated with protein, but that's anecdotal. It could be something completely different that you're eating with protein that's causing that. And I think I had somebody for reach sure. out to me after I made that post, and they were like thanking me for making it. And they're a coach and they're like, I did something very similar, but I didn't cite any research. And I had all these dietitians attack me and like kind of mm. say I was wrong. And they're very like, 
most dietitians, I shouldn't say all, because I have one on my team and she's great and, and there's plenty of great dietitians out there, but there's also some that are just like a doctor. There's great doctors. There's also doctors that still base their oh, yeah. information off of old textbooks, which aren't yep. even based on research that was accurate. So yeah. um, I was like, yeah, did you notice that not a single person tried to debate me? Because no, nobody can comment on that post with a research that rebuttals what I said because I cited right. the research and I gave it to them and I quoted it. And, you know, like for the kidneys, there's literally not a single piece of research that shows protein affects the kidneys in a negative way. The only time this is ever going to be an issue is if you have pre-existing kidney issues. For example, I have a client who has one kidney. She's an amazing human being. Oh. I've known her for years. She gave her kidney to her mother because her mother had kidney disease. So she has one kidney. She can't process as much protein as a normal person. So we have to consume right. a lower amount than what I would like, um, which is still probably more than the average person actually takes in, uh, you yeah, know, but for sure, but there's, there's just no research to prove that whatsoever. Um, e there was like even people like touting that it causes cancer. But if you dig into that research, right. the, the source of the meat that was causing inflammatory markers that could potentially be correlated, not causation correlated to cancer it's horribly sourced meat, you know, like right. it's, it's, yeah, it's horrible. So like yeah, point, point being, that I'm not going to eat, frankly. Exactly. So there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, dogma around protein, but if we look at the research and this is actually how, so like guys typically don't have a problem with protein because, you know, you ask almost anybody off the street, what does protein do? Builds muscle. Makes you big. Yeah. That's what the common person <laughs> thinks. So going back to what I said earlier about school. Right. I was not motivated in school because uh, what it did for me didn't it didn't excite me. It wasn't something I was interested right. in. That didn't make sense. So for women, they're like, I don't give a shit about getting huge. Like, I don't need protein. But did you know that protein is also the most satiating, making it the most easy, like the, the most important nutrient during a diet if you want to adhere to a calorie deficit? Because it's the most fulfilling and satiating nutrient you can consume. So it's going to help you diet to get leaner. Oh, well, that's kind of nice. And it has the highest thermic effect of food. So you actually burn more calories through digestion of protein than you do any other nutrient. So you might actually get leaner if you have a higher protein intake. And now we have, oh, shit, it makes me leaner, lose fat. Like now it's more appealing. That helps women adhere to it as well. Um, there's been studies that have done uh, <laughs> this. Dr. Jose Antonio did a study and it was like, I think hit the first one was like 1.2 grams per pound. Like he was like, I just want to test to see if we go over a body weight, what happens? Um, the groups were like 0 0.8 versus 1.2. I think there was no different than muscle growth. So you don't build more muscle from consuming 1.2 versus 0 0.8. If you're right. in a maintenance, if you're in a deficit, that might change, which I'll get to in a, in a sec. Right. Um, but there was no difference. There was no harm. There was no bad blood mark markers. People actually ate a little bit more calories every day because they had a little extra protein. They didn't gain any body fat from it. Pretty successful study. But people uh, argued that it wasn't enough to prove his point. So then he did one that was 1.5 times body weight. And then people did the same thing. And then he did a study that was a year long, two grams per pound of body weight and protein. And I'm pretty Ooh. sure this is the one that was a year long. And uh, it's crazy. So people, two groups, one at maintenance uh, with normal protein levels, one at surplus technically because they went to maintenance and then they brought their calories up over 400. So 400 calories surplus. So okay. technically you should be gaining fat at this point. You're in a surplus. Right. But the surplus was only given to via protein, and they actually saw fat loss. This has been replicated in a study by Dr. Bill Campbell. Both of these people, which I've had on my podcast to talk about this, both of them have no real explanation as to why this happens. But 
the fact is, is protein is not being stored as fat. It's, it's being utilized. Your body will use protein for other things other than muscle. There's other tissues in the body. There's other systems in the body. There's other things going on that protein can be used for. Um, and then on top of that, anything that is excess, which usually doesn't happen until you're really, really going high. Like in the two gram study, right. they, they saw excess protein. It gets pissed out via nitrate. And there was no right. kidney issue at two grams per pound, which is twice as much protein as you. And that's not yeah. I don't recommend anybody consume that much protein, but no, it's, it's good to prove the point that these myths are, cause this is a long study and, and it's done long enough to prove all of those myths inaccurate. But what we can take from it too, is that if these people burn more calories through digestion, let's say that's what it was potentially, um, there probably was a meta metabolism increase. Their BMR probably increased because one of the only negatives that came from the study was that people complained about, uh, being hot more often. So they would like sweat at night or they'd have to turn their AC up and stuff. So their body temperature was up, but that's a metabolic signal. So it could be, sure. you know, metabolism increasing, burning more calories. Nonetheless, like this gives us some ideas of like, Hey, if we're going into a diet, maybe we increase protein and decrease carbs or fat. So we don't go into a deficit. We maintain right. that metabolic rate a little bit more and you're more satiated, potentially burning more calories because you're eating more protein, which is, has a higher thermic effect of food. So now we can use this as a tool to go above what's required in protein in order to make a fat loss diet more successful and not have to dive into calories so deep. There was another study that showed consuming 1.2 or more grams per pound actually maintained more muscle mass during a deficit. So when stress is <laughs> higher and calories are lower, you may actually have a benefit of having above average protein intake in order to maintain more of your muscle during the deficit, which Everybody should be focused on, even if you don't want to be yep. jacked, you want to maintain muscle tissue during a diet. It's, it's yep. a very smart idea. Um, yeah, it's got to maintain your BMR. Yeah, so there's just been so many studies now that have just shown there's really nothing negative. And, and even, you know, um, the whole, like, absorption. Well, you can only absorb 20 grams in a meal or whatever. That depends on your body weight. Uh, the, I think the cap that they've seen is 50 grams of absorption for a pretty large human being. Um, right. But any, any protein that's not absorbed will be stored in the gut and used later on. So if you eat now yep. and you absorb your 30 grams, the rest of the protein sitting in your gut and two, three hours later when your body needs some amino acids, it's going to pull from that. It's not going to store as fat. Yeah, I agree. Well, and, and honestly, like, unless you're, you know, if you're a bodybuilder, it's, it, then it becomes a little bit different. If you're, you know, at that upper tier level of athleticism, then yes, space your protein out way, way more. But for your average Joe, just get it in and you're probably going to be just fine. But let me ask you this, Cody, for, for the average person that maybe is struggling with their protein intake, right? Mm -hmm. At what point in time is, I mean, so is it a better option to supplement more protein or lower the calories? Because obviously we want, we want to feed people food source protein. That's, that's the goal, right? Mm -hmm. But if they, if they just cannot do it, like the goal is 150 and I'm hitting 90 grams of protein a day and, and I'm struggling, right? What would you suggest? Do you drop calories at that point or do you supplement a big chunk of that protein? Um, yeah. So like, I think this, I mean, it ultimately depends, right? I think that I typically like a perfect world. I would say, I don't like people going over one to two shakes in a day. Um, right. if anybody tried to say, well, like, you know, I, I often refer to science and research because it's the best way to prove a point. People will say like, do you have any research to prove that as good advice? And I would say, no, there isn't because there's studies that do have people drinking three, four, five protein shakes a day to hit some of these high numbers. And there's 
right. absolutely zero adverse effects because a whey protein shake is literally just derived from dairy. So it technically is food. Yep. Um, the problem I see with it is from a satiety perspective, you do not get nearly as full by drinking a protein shake as you do actual food. Um, and right. I do think, you know, there's, there's actually a good study. It wasn't on protein, but it was on processed foods. Your body burns less calories per day when you consume more processed foods because it's already, it's processed. So it's already halfway broken down for you. Your body doesn't have to do as much of the digestive process. So if we look at a protein shake, the reason it's so beneficial, it's, it's broken down, it's micronized. So it's immediately digestible chicken, steak, eggs, whatever you have, your body has to go through it has the bio process and then it has to break it down in the esophagus and the intestines and has to absorb the nutrients. Like there's a process that requires energy. So you're burning more calories through that process. And I think that's beneficial. Um, the only time I ever tell people don't drink protein or really limit it is, is when they do experience gut issues from it, which right. is usually from the artificial sweeteners inside the, the protein rather than the actual protein, unless they have a, a, a lactose issue. But right. um, I think one to two shakes a day is a safe bet. But I also would say if somebody's at 90 and they need to hit 150, I have no problem saying like, hey, you're going to do like a scoop and a half, which let's say is like 30, 35 grams twice a day, which is three, three scoops a day until okay. we can get it up, you know, and then we'll teach you how to do things. But I also think from a practical perspective for people listening, there's been countless times where people tell me they can't hit their macros. They just don't know how to eat enough protein. I'm like, all right, well, let me see what you're eating. And they're like, all right, well, you know, for breakfast, I have eggs and I do like half egg whites, half whole eggs. I'm like, okay, cool. Can you add uh, one quarter cup extra egg whites? It's four tablespoons. Well, yeah, of course. Okay, just do that because that's an extra 10 grams of protein. Boom, perfect. Right. Uh, for, for lunch, you have chicken. You have four ounces. Could you make that six? Yeah, I suppose so. Perfect. Yeah. Most, most chicken breasts are six ounces anyway. Yep. Dinner, you have steak. Let's have a bigger steak. Why not? Okay, cool. Like, and then you have one sh one scoop of whey protein post workout. Make it one and a half. And now all of a sudden, like, oh shit! Now I'm hitting my protein. It's like literally just adjusting those portion sizes. Nine times out of ten is what people need to do, um, and it, it's that simple. You know, so that's always my yeah. recommendation. First is doing that, and and you know, I know you asked about the whole meat thing. Um, I'm a huge fan of meat, uh, especially red meat. There's just you know. On top of me just loving steak, and, and I have a, a smoker, so I'm just like, we go to the butcher. Yeah. It's like a routine. We go work out as a family, and then we go to this butcher shop and get a different meat to smoke every weekend. I love yes. it. Yes. But, uh, but even like for outside of that, you know, there's so much micronutrients inside of a steak compared to chicken or anything like that. Right. So, um, but right. if you don't like meat, fish is a great option. Eggs and egg whites are a great option. Greek yogurt's a great option. Cottage cheese is a great option. Whey protein's a great option. Um, there are plant-based proteins. The problem with those is they usually come with a lot of carbs as well. Um, you know, and if you get enough protein from in a meal from your beans, you're also going to get so much fiber that you're going to be a bloated, gassy mess, which is not fun. Yep. And if we look at the effectiveness of plant-based protein, the amino acid structure just isn't that favorable for strength, muscle growth, things like that. So if we look at just like the molecular structure of a protein, animal protein is just so much higher quality and better for you than any type of plant protein there is. And that's been debunked a million times. So obviously we have plenty of clients that come to us that, you know, for, for, um, personal, uh, reasons, they choose not to eat meat. And, and I totally support that. You just have to be more finicky with the diet. You are going to supplement with right. shakes. You got to usually add essential amino acids into the workout, creatine. Like you just got to play around and get a little bit more tricky. It's possible. You might not build as much muscle, but yeah. it's, it's just a, you just got to be a little bit less flexible when it comes to dieting. 
It's true. I'm actually, I'm glad you said that because like nine times out of 10, you know, the majority of people don't need aminos, but if you're, if you've completely cut out meat, then you are missing out on some very anabolic aminos yeah. that you're, that you're going to need if you want to maintain your muscle mass. Um, Cody, thanks so much for taking the time, bro. Like I'm just, it's so impressive how intelligent you are just on the fly all the time and just still putting out incredible content. But just for anybody that's listening, guys, if you feel a connection to Cody and you feel that impulse to work with Cody, you should work with Cody. At the end of the day, I think that there are a ton of high quality coaches out there. Um, and the one that you feel the best connection to that you've, you trust the most is probably the one that you should work with. I mean, you got to make sure that your coach knows what he's talking about, but that connection piece is, is honestly like 95% of the game because the stuff that your coach needs to get you to do is generally pretty basic. Uh, but if you feel a connection to Cody, Cody, where can people find you and listen to you and get more content from you? Yeah. Oh, I love that dude. Um, it's so funny. I had a question the other day of how do you find the right coach? And I said the exact same thing. I said, make sure they're experienced and have education. And then after that, it's like, yeah. who, who do you connect with the best? Who do you trust the most? Who do you feel relate like relatability to? Because ultimately that respect leads you to better adherence. Um, so that's, yep. that's so huge, dude. Um, but tailoredcoachingmethod.com is where you can find everything. We have loads and loads and loads of free content on there. Um, I mean, you can find our YouTube, our podcast, our blog, all that kind of stuff through there. Um, and then obviously I, I have my own podcast. Uh, that's the tailored life podcast. And then my Instagram is at Cody McBroom. And those are probably the two most frequent content sources you can get from me. So guys, just so you know, too, with the tailored life podcast, it's a podcast that I listen to. Um, are you still putting out four episodes a week? It's three right now. Three. three? Yeah. Slacking bro. But it's three, <laughs> it's three episodes a week and it's, all incredible. I mean, I just, I've always loved Cody's content right now, dude, that episode that you did a little while back with, uh, I think John, don't let me mess it up. Marinello, uh, Romanello, Romanello. Thank you on the art of storytelling was incredible. Thank like, you, I love it. I love it when you throw in something that's got nothing to do with fitness at all, but it's just freaking awesome because I'm like, Oh, dang. All right. That's pretty cool. But Anyways, thanks so much for coming on, Cody. I really appreciate you taking the time and I hope to connect with you again sometime, man. Yeah, man. Absolutely, dude. Thank you for having me. It was, uh, it was a great conversation. Thank you.